Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Baylife Church Port Stevens. We hope you find this message challenges and inspires you in your daily Christian walk. For more information, visit www.baylifechurch.org.au. Our group is called Liberty People and we've been going for quite a while, just coming up to 30 years. Before that, basically my work was church planting and um, come from a heritage of church planters from my great-grandfather and my grandfather and my dad and um, never wanted to be that um, because I, I noticed that the pastors and the people who started the churches had the worst car in the world every time. And I liked my cars and I thought, I'm never going to do that. And then the Lord changed my mind. And so anyway, here we are today. We just live here in the bay and um, a lovely place to have our base to work from. For those who don't know us, basically our background is still in planting churches and doing works in the nations. Um, 30 years ago, the Lord spoke to us about a word and deed ministry into the nations where we could bless and encourage and help and preach the gospel and plant churches and so that's taken us out to all parts of the earth from the particularly the former Soviet Union countries, Belarus, Estonia, Bulgaria, Hungary, Romania, down through the Eastern European countries and then we've planted churches as well uh, down into Turkey and Cyprus and uh, different parts around the Mediterranean. And, uh, but particularly in the Pacific region, really, Vanuatu was the first place where we started to do this work and the Philippines. They were our first really true input nations. And it was earlier this year that you sent a team to the Philippines. So I've got a couple of pictures here. We're going back again in a few weeks to go ahead, keep going with this work of planting churches and winning people for Christ. You know, the good news of Jesus is that transformation in people's lives. You can't understand it. People won't even believe it until they experience it, you know, and, and, and the transformation of people's lives. I'm taking a young man with me on this trip, a, a small team, and one of them was one of Australia's champion MMA fighters, was a professional boxer, went to MMA, huge guy, 130 kilos, heavyweight. You know the guys who get in those round cages and pummel each other to pieces? He was one of those. And God gloriously saved him 12 months ago in our church at East Maitland and um, now he's uh, training doing Alpha Crucis online and uh, just flourishing in God and what a testimony he has and I've actually been leading some of his friends to the Lord now, professional bodybuilders and young uh, young MMA fighters and all going through the same things of the drugs and the uh, um, anger issues and all the rest of it. As they find Christ they're transformed. In the Philippines God's doing a transformational work. Some of the things we do there are to help communities and some of the things we do there are to plant churches and see people come to Christ. The greatest transformation that can happen actually is in the heart of a person, totally being changed by the power of God. So we'll be over there again in a, in a month's time and, uh, and seeing what God's going to do over there. Actually on that island we now have 29 churches in a network where we began there um, just under five years ago. And uh, we've been planting churches there. Matt runs our online Bible school where we train uh, young people who become the leaders of the new churches. And so God's really blessing that. Praise God. Okay.
I think that's enough of that. Right, let's go on. Righto. What have we got, Peter, in the boat? We've got something. Okay, here we go. Right, okay. Let's go fishing. I, um, I share this message today with you because it's so close to my heart. It's like our lives and our churches have got two sides to the boat. You know, people say we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. We use that expression like as though everyone's got the same issues, everyone's got the same problems or, you know, we're all in this together, blah, blah, blah. I notice in this beautiful story that we're going to read in a moment that there's two sides to our life, there's two sides to the church and it's a very, very important principle here. When Jesus was speaking to Peter in this story, we find it in John's Gospel, chapter 21. Now, just a background to, as we, before we read the story. In John's Gospel, chapter 21, is Jesus appearing to his disciples after he rose from the dead. He's alive now. He's back among them. They, they could barely recognise him. Some different glory was on him, but he'd risen from the grave. And so, in the story that we'll put up here now on the, on the screen, the passage from John chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. The key person in this story is Peter, whose name used to be Simon. Jesus was the one who changed his name from Simon to Peter. And the background to this story is that from Luke chapter 5, there was another time when Peter was in his boat, we won't spend time on that story, but basically what happened, Jesus was preaching to such a big crowd on the seashore that he borrowed a bloke's boat and his name was Simon and he got them to push the boat out into the water because there was hardly any room even for Jesus to stand among them. So he pushed back in the water a bit and preached to this great crowd of people. When he'd finished, he called out to Simon and said, go out and cast down your nets for a catch of fish and Simon had, hadn't even been really a big part of this gathering because the Bible had said that he and the, and the others with him were, had been fixing their nets so Simon said look we've been fishing all night and we haven't caught anything but at your word according to your word he'd, something had been sinking in we will do it so he pushed back his boat dropped down the nets suddenly there's so many fish they took two boats to fill the boats with the number of fish that they caught from those nets that they dropped down. Peter came ashore and he, he just threw himself at the feet of Jesus, admitted all of his faults and his sins and Jesus loved him and saved him and the others who were with him and called them now to be fishers of men. They walked with Jesus and became the disciples of Jesus. And when Jesus was being crucified, the one who denied Christ the one who failed the worst was Peter. To save his own skin three times, he denied Jesus that he even knew him. Because, you know, it was a gruesome and a disgusting and a horrible scene as they were leading Jesus to his death on the cross and whipping him and beating him. And people said, you were with Jesus? He said, I don't even know him. Even a young girl said it. And he denied Christ. And so Jesus 
died on the cross. Peter observed the whole thing, but the most overwhelming thing in his life would have been that Jesus went to his death on behalf of Peter and Peter was such a failure, so failed and denied Christ. And now you see Jesus has risen from the dead and he comes for breakfast by the sea. And it says, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, which is actually the, um, it's actually the Sea of Galilee, but it's just the, what do you call, it's a Gentile name, not the Jewish name. And on his way, he showed himself to them. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee, Sons of Zebedee, the two others of his disciples were together. Seven of them were there. Seven of the disciples were there. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you. They went out and immediately got into the boat and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any food? And he answered, and they answered, no. And he said, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and now now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Wow. Basically, Peter, he's basically naked. He's in the boat. He's gone back to fishing again. Jesus had called him three and a half years before to follow him and he followed Jesus all the way but he denied him. Now they don't know what to do with themselves. Peter didn't know, what am I supposed to do now? Jesus has been crucified. He couldn't work out what on earth was going on, so he went back to fishing and the seven disciples, all of them together there, said, we're going to do that too. Back in their boats again. And so when Jesus called out, have you caught anything? How about about if you get some fish? And they said, no, we've been fishing all night, caught nothing. And Jesus says, Put the nets over the other side of the boat. Well, of course, these guys knew a little bit about fishing. They knew that it's not going to make a great deal of difference which side you throw the nets. Um, The fish are there or they're not there. Suddenly there was this huge miracle. Why do we return to the familiar? Why do we go back to that safety of what's familiar to us? Why, when we have oftentimes experienced things with God in our, in our life or had our great times or we've had a failure, why do we just rest back on the familiar? Why do we just go back to doing things the same as always? Peter had to struggle with this so much. The struggle in his life would have been unspeakable. How he left, the terms he was on with Jesus in his own heart when Jesus died on the cross. The, 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 the terms that he had with Christ who loved him and saved him when he saw his saviour leader die on the cross. He was dealing with a lot of stuff here. But there's another side to the story. There's another side to the boat. There's a part of our life where if we will follow what God says to us, we can be on the side where God will do the work, not us where God will be the one who will make us able and not ourselves. You see, I believe that Jesus was teaching a lesson here to Peter that went something like this. The power to catch a mighty harvest is not by our own ability, 
but by his word, what he says. The power to do things with God and for God and in the name of Jesus, the power to be people who see a harvest of people come to Christ is not because of our ability, it's because of what he says. Put the nets on the other side of the boat. There's another side to this story. There's another side to your life than the side which is natural, that is defined by your, by your victories and your failures. There's a side to your life where God speaks to you and says, this is what's going to make you the person that you really need to, to be. Listen to me. Do what I say. Follow me. Do it my way. Even if you're a professional fisherman and you know how to catch fish more than anybody else on the planet and I say put the nets on the other side, do that thing. When God speaks to us, just a thing like this, the words that bypass reason. Some people never see godly harvest things in their life. They can go through their whole life never seeing godly harvest, never leading a person to Christ, never really being able to tell anybody about their faith. They stay in the familiar. They say, I'm a private person. That's just not me and I'll stay in that private place. I'll stay in my comfort zone. I'll do things the way that I've always done them because that's familiar to me. But what if God is actually speaking to us and to his church that there's another side to the boat. There's the side where God speaks. It's a little bit like the side that Greg was sharing about before when they're in a little hall at the back here and trying to build this church but they felt God wanted them to do something that didn't make any sense. What if God speaks to you about things that don't seem to make any sense? first person who comes to mind in this sort of picture is Joshua and in the book of Joshua in chapter 6 verse 1 through 7 it'll go up on the screen but we we won't read it I'll just give you my version it'll be there for you to look at um, I think there it is okay this will take a few slides and so as you read down through this you find that here in Joshua uh, chapter 6 that God is speaking to him something that doesn't make any sense the city of Jericho, you know the old Negro spiritual, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. Like that? And I, well, I just want you to grab something about this. It says that the place was huge, that they closed up the city of Jericho because the children of Israel had come into their promised land now. There's about a million of them. And here's this massive city. The walls of that city, they could race chariots around the walls. And it was all made of stone. And they could lock that city down and they locked it down. They didn't want Israel to take it from them. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, look at this, I've given it to you. And then he gave him this plan. March around the city, all you and the men of war, go all around the city once and you shall do this for six days. Next one. He says, now on the seventh day, the seven priests shall bear the seven trumpets of the ram's horns before the ark, but on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests will blow the trumpets, and it shall come to pass 
when they make a long blast on the ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout and the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up, every man straight before him. They're going to take this place if you'll follow my instruction. Now the first thing in Joshua's mind would be, hang on, we're in the promised land here. We've got the law of the Lord. He said, don't depart from my words. I'm not going to march around on the Sabbath day seven times. God, you're asking me to break your law. In Sabbath law, they couldn't walk more than one third of a mile in, in that whole day. If you go to Jerusalem now, you get in an elevator, it'll have two different sets of switches. On the Sabbath day, you're not even allowed to press the button on the elevator. All the hotels in Jerusalem are exactly the same. They've got a Sabbath elevator that will just go up and down and up and down. You're not allowed to press the buttons. And so in Joshua's mind was, I can't press that button. I'm not allowed to do it. You mean on the Sabbath day we're going to march around this massive city mile after mile seven times? We're going to break the Sabbath seven times over? This can't be God. What's going on here? This just doesn't fit with me. God asking me to do something that I feel absolutely uncomfortable about. But Joshua had been commanded to hearken to the voice of the Lord, to listen to what God says. If you will, hearken unto my voice. Wow, so God's speaking now, asking him to do something which religiously was a big problem. God doesn't speak religious language. God speaks a language of transformation and blessing. God speaks a language which often won't make sense to us. We may even object to it and have all the reasons in the world why I, I'm just not going to do this until I feel comfortable about it. Well, you're never going to feel comfortable about it if you're approaching God with a religious mindset. I think some of the most sad people in the world are very religious people because their whole revelation of God is that, well... Um, you know, jolly good show, I believe it, and, and they never go anywhere. They never let their relationship with God be dynamic and transformational and saying things into their life, even things they didn't want to hear. Break the Sabbath? Is that really God? I think about Peter in this. Another example is when Peter, after all of this stuff that he's going through here, the day of Pentecost came. How great God's forgiveness over Peter in this story. The Bible just floods your mind with truth about it. That Peter, who'd been fishing on the wrong side of the boat, and Jesus said, throw over your nets, and they threw out the nets and, and, and caught so many fish, 153 huge fish until the nets were breaking. They're only about 100 metres offshore. Peter was naked. I don't know why. <laughs> I've got no idea. I've never gone fishing naked. <laughs> no. It's good, isn't it? <laughs> Just somehow it doesn't work in my mind. But it's working for, it wasn't working for Peter either. The fish are down there going, no. 
I'm not going to get caught by some naked fisherman. <laughs> well, anyway. But it just showed where Peter had got to, doesn't it? Where he'd got to. Where he'd got to. I'm going back to fishing. And by the way, I'm going to take my clothes off. <laughs> but now after this transformation, he comes ashore, leaps into the water and comes to Jesus. And Jesus just grabs him, loves him, forgives him. Says, do you love me, Peter? Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Three times over. Fast forward, day of Pentecost, not long after. He's so baptised and filled with the Holy Spirit. He's the one who stood up, preached, and 3,000 people were saved. Now this thing's growing and bursting. This is the church born out of this preaching of this man, Peter. And this was growing and expanding and multiplying. And suddenly Peter's in a house... And he's pretty hungry and he sits and they asked him to prepare some food for him. And, and while that's happening and he's praying, he goes into this visionary place. And in this visionary place, down from heaven comes this big blanket. And on the blanket are all these unclean animals that Jewish people are not allowed to eat, including pigs, probably dogs. And in this vision, this thing happened three times. And the voice of God spoke to him and said, Rise up, Peter, kill them and eat them. No way, he said. Not on your life. This is not lawful for me. What was this about? Why is God showing him a thing, a picture like this? Three times this sheet comes down with all these unclean animals they're not allowed to eat. Rise up and eat them. But at the same time, God's been visiting the house of an Italian bloke, a Gentile. An Italian. And God speaks of his great favour and love for him. And he says, send someone to go down to this address and you'll find there Peter and he'll come and he'll preach to you. So he sent someone to the house, come knocking on the door, a little Gentile guy. Peter here? Is Peter here? Yeah, I'm here. Come on up to Cornelius' house. The penny still hadn't dropped with him. God gave him this objectionable picture. Rise up, kill that pig, kill that dog, eat it. No way. What if God speaks stuff and you don't want to hear it? What if he speaks in language that gets your attention? Because you know what happened? He went, Again, he had to break the old traditional law and he had to go to a Gentile's house. And he walks in the door and the Holy Spirit walks in with him. And bang, 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 they receive the word and bang, they're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Not only Cornelius, but everyone in the house. And, and, and Peter was just blown off his chair. It's like, what's going on here? These are Gentiles. And the Lord's saying, I've been telling you all along. I want to pour out my spirit on all flesh. I want this for all nations. I want this for all people from every nation, every tongue, every family, every tribe, every language group on the earth. This message is for them. The language that God uses. Seven times march around the city. Someone else who heard something weird from God was a man called Naaman in the Old Testament. 
in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 5, verse 9 through 14. We'll get that one up there if you can. This has to do with when God speaks stuff to you that shatters your pride. Now, who was Naaman? From verse 1 of 2 Kings chapter 5, we find that Naaman was the commander of all of the armies of Syria. He was the most powerful man in Syria under the king of Syria. And the Bible says that the Lord had given him strength and wisdom and he was honoured as a mighty man of valour. But Naaman was a leper. He had leprosy. Now the Syrians had gone out and done battle and and when they came back they'd bought a young girl who happened to be a young Hebrew girl and she became the servant of Naaman's wife. And one day this young Hebrew girl says, it's such a shame that Naaman can't meet the prophet of Israel called Elisha. Because if he could just be in his presence, he could be healed of his leprosy. So Naaman hears this and goes to the king and says, Oh, king, the young Hebrew girl who serves my wife, she's saying that I need to go and see this Hebrew prophet called Elisha. So the king gives him camel loads of stuff, gold and silver, ten changes of clothes, I don't know what they were for, but he gives him all this stuff and he says, and this letter and take it to the king of, take this letter to the king of Israel. And it's, it starts up here and Naaman went with his horse and chariot and he stood at the door of, oh, okay, we'll get to that. We're not quite there yet. Okay, so bring all this stuff for the king and the letter. And the letter from the king of Syria says, king of Israel, I want... Naaman to be able to stand before your prophet that he can be cleansed of his leprosy. So the king of Israel was outraged. He thought it was a trick. Why would he send a leper down here? Does he want to spread his leprosy among us? Why is he sending this leper here for me to do something about his problem? And the king was so enraged, the king of Israel, he tore his... Everyone's tearing their clothes off in this message. I don't know why. Clothes are coming off everywhere. <laughs> Tore his clothes and Elisha heard about it, sent a message to the king, send him to me. So Naaman went with his horse and chariot, stood at the door of Elisha's house and Elisha sent a messenger to him. Elisha didn't even meet Naaman. He sent a messenger a servant out to the door saying go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean but Naaman became furious and went away and said indeed I said to myself he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy and he was enraged he felt he felt totally and completely humiliated that a servant would come and speak to the commander of all of the forces of Syria, the most, one of the most powerful men in the world, the Donald Trump of those times. And some servant would come and say, Donald, you need a bath. 
And he's thinking, so he says to his, and in his rage, he says to his servants, Naaman says, we've got a couple of really beautiful rivers in Syria. I could have gone and swam there. What's he talking about, this river Jordan? But some of his servants came to him and said, in verse 13 of this passage, they said, Master, if the servant of God had asked you to do a really hard thing, would you have done it? He said, of course I would. They said, well, he's actually only asked you to do something really simple. (laughs) Why don't you do it? But here was the issue. Imagine him, the most powerful man, possibly the most powerful man in the world, with all of his armour, with all of his might and dressed up as the commander. He had to go down to that river and strip off everything of the person that he was. Take off that armour, take off those robes, take off all of those beautiful clothes and that fancy stuff that made him the greatest man and strip himself to nothing and expose to those around him what what was there beneath the covering what was under his armour and he strips it all off and it's there for everyone to see look at his body look at his flesh he's being eaten up with leprosy there was nothing worse you know to hear that you've got cancer would be one of the most horrible things to hear in your life but I tell you something the journey of a leper is probably even more terrible than that because you're supposed to be a complete outcast. You are unclean. And to go through this process at the word which God had given for him, to go through this process of humiliation and, and, and attacking the pride of this man that he has to strip everything off and show himself, and he dips himself in the river one time, comes up nothing. Dips in a second time, comes up nothing. The third time and the fourth time and the fifth time and the sixth time. And this body of a leper there for everybody to see. But he obeyed it even to the seventh time. He went down into that water and plunged himself into that water and it came up with body, it says, as smooth and pure as a newborn baby. Completely and utterly cleansed. Wow. There may be somebody here. I preached on Naaman a few weeks ago in in the church in Maitland. And there was a young man there who's emerging as one of the great young bodybuilders. I didn't know he would be there. He'd never been to church in his life. And I preached on Naaman and this young man beneath the surface of this rippling mass of muscle was a young man who was on ice and full of anger and who had only one future ahead of him, either death or in prison. And God slowly, as I preached about Naaman, God began to speak to him, what what armour have you got on? And who is the man under that armour? We all do this, you know. There might be a person here, you've put all this armour on. 
for people to see what, you know, look, at, I'm, I'm fine. There might be a leper under there. There might be a person who hasn't got a clue what to do with his life under all of that armour. Young men, young women, this is what we do. We present ourselves, but under the surface we know what we really are. And so does God. And he doesn't want to humiliate us like, I'm sure he doesn't want to humiliate us like he did with, because here's another guy who had to get his gear off. They're all getting their gear off in this story. They all end up in the water and getting their clothes off, putting them back on. Old Naaman now, totally radically changed. And he came back, stood before Elisha the prophet and says, now I know that there is no God in this world but the God of Israel. He is the Lord God. And in that he found God. All of his pride was broken and he found God. When God asks us to serve him and love him and follow him, oftentimes he speaks in a language that doesn't make sense to us. Sometimes we think about, well, what? Well, if I follow Jesus, what will be the price of it? If I go, have to go and wash there in the water and everybody sees my stinking, rotting flesh, am I prepared to do that? And God speaks to his church, even. Oftentimes we don't have the courage to do what he says. I reckon sometimes we don't even have any nets in our boat to put down. I know churches that have gone through the motions for year after year after year and never seen a new person come to Christ. Haven't had a baptism in their church for years. Haven't even got a net in their boat to throw over the side. And even if God wanted to speak, there'd be all of this religious stuff. They wouldn't hear him. And what if God speaks things that you don't want to hear? Lord, I'm believing for the money to build this hall. I don't want to hear you asking me for $20,000 for a house in Watoto. Well, is Watoto a place? or a, It's not a country, is it? It's, not a, it's Uganda, that's where it is. Yeah, Watoto is a place in Uganda. I know there's all these African countries, you know. I go, I go to them, but I can't say the names of them. Especially the people come up and introduce themselves to you. Know, Hello, I am Pastor Mubekadu. <laughs> uh, how <laughs> doesn't matter, doesn't matter. So anyway, <laughs> Bill, Bill, Pastor Bill, good to meet you. <clears throat> and what if God says a thing you don't want to hear, or it's inconvenient, or <laughs> if I start this, God? and it doesn't work, I'm going to be humiliated. These are all the thoughts we have, aren't they? As a church, we've got another side. We've got to have nets ready. There's another side to the church. There's the side of doing the stuff that's important and we know what to do. And there's the side of doing the stuff that we haven't got a clue We're just doing what God says for us to do. And we're doing it in faith. But what about you as a person? When you come on a journey like this, would you be one of the ones who say, I don't know what Greg and Robin are doing, but I can't see that God's in it. 
just doesn't feel religious enough to me. You know, they've got those drums in that church down there. Even this... What? Slazinger drum. Okay. I wouldn't have a clue. But you know, really getting serious about it. How do you respond when you know that God's speaking to you? Might be a young person here who's, you know that under the surface, you're a bit of a Naaman actually. There's a leprosy there. What it's going to take for you to be cleansed will have a cost to it. You'll need to say, Lord, I admit, I admit to everything. I admit to everything that's under the surface of my life. I admit to all of it. And whatever you say, that's what I'm going to do. I'll receive you as my saviour. I better finish this and um, pray for you. There is a beautiful calling of God on this church and you're in the middle of it. You're standing in it. And the most important words that get said in this church come from the Lord himself. What is God saying? What is God saying to us? What is our mission? Do we have nets in this boat ready to catch a needy person's life? Do we have nets in this church that can catch a young person who started on a journey of drug addiction? Do we have nets ready as a church to touch somebody on the other side of the world and to even send missionaries out from our church and win people for Christ and minister and bless? Beautiful questions that we can ask. Get your nets ready. You may say, well... God's speaking to us about the miraculous side of his church where there's a harvest of God at work that won't be by our ability but by his word. Maybe he's speaking to us about the miraculous side where we see that when we pray for people they're healed and their cancer is gone. How do you prepare for that? I'll tell you how you prepare. You start now and start to pray as a church for God's miraculous power in you personally and in the church to be at work and build for that, build to that. I I put this challenge to a beautiful church, a willing church. I put this challenge to a church that has shown and proven through the years that you are ready to step out of the boat. You are ready to cast your nets on the other side. Make sure that you've, you've got a boat that is full of nets Readiness for whatever God says to you. And finally, for any person who's here today, how do you know when God is speaking to you? How do I know when he's speaking to me? I don't get a prophet who comes running up to me very often and tells me what to do. I I don't get Jesus calling me from the seashore and telling me an instruction. How do I hear what God wants from me? If you don't know Jesus, 
as your personal saviour, how do you hear him if you don't know him? You know, when you know somebody, you know their voice really well, don't you? If, if someone calls you on the phone, well, the smartphones now, they'll tell you who it is, but the old phones, if they call you, you know, hi, then you know exactly who, who it is. You know that, hi, you know that person, you know their voice. When you know a person, you know their voice. How do you hear Jesus speaking to you when you don't know him? How do you know if he's calling you now to follow him? As Jesus said to Peter, follow me. What if he's calling you today and something that we shared today, even about Naaman? That man who beneath the surface was being eaten up with something. You can hear him speak right down into your soul now. You can hear, feel something in another part of you. That's not, you know it's not your brain. You know it's not your ears. It's actually the spiritual side of your life that he speaks to. Into your soul. Because he loves you. And he wants to call you out of that. And he's the only one who has the power to change that skin back to a newborn. He's the one who's got the power to do that. And that's what you need more than anything else in the world. You need to know that your sins are forgiven. You need to know that your past has been washed away and you are made into a new person. So that's available to you now. You can hear that in your heart. I know you can hear that. You can hear it down in your soul. You know that this is God calling you. And it doesn't make sense to others, but to you right now, it's the most sensible thing you've ever heard in your life. I need to be a new person. I need to be forgiven. Just like Peter was. Just like Naaman was. And this is how you receive that forgiveness is through the call of Jesus. I love you. I gave myself for you. I took your place. My death on the cross was your, was your death. The sins that I took on the cross were your sins. He's the one who's got the power to say, I'll wash you from all your unrighteousness and make you a new creature, a new person. Let's just close our eyes. Oh, there's such a lot of power in this room. It's been such a beautiful morning here, hasn't it? There's a beautiful power here in the unseen. Spirit to spirit, deep calling to deep. God calling to his church and God calling to you personally. There's power for you to be transformed today. Maybe you personally have not given your life to Christ. But you've heard it today. You relate to Naaman. Maybe you relate to Peter who denied Christ over and over. Maybe you relate to Naaman. 
But you know now, I need to do something about this. For all his objections, Naaman went to that river. He went and received his complete cleansing. So I'd like to ask you now, just in the beautiful moment we have here at the finish, if you need to give your life to Christ and ask him to cleanse you, give you a new life and receive him as your saviour, just put your hand up. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Make that call now. Make that call. Make that decision for Christ. And just as I've seen all over the world, people of different countries and languages and race, the message is for you too. Is there anybody here who needs to make that decision today? Hallelujah. Okay, let's stand up and I'm going to pray for the church. Pray for you all and then finally it'll be over. (laughs) Let's all put our hands up in the air, shall we? Close our eyes and just attune ourselves to God. We thank you, Lord, for the calling of your Holy Spirit over this church. It's yours, your church. Whatever you say to us, we are ready and we will prepare and we will do it. Whatever you're calling upon us as a church, we will walk in it. We pray that you will show us, Lord, the the way to cast out nets so that we can bring in a whole harvest. We can win souls for Christ, see lives transformed. And Lord Jesus, in your name, I pray over this beautiful group. The dawning of a new day, the dawning of a new experience in God where the visitation of God over his church, your healing power, your restoring power, that you'll begin to speak and call and that the nets will be ready in this church for whatever you say. I pray your rich and wonderful blessing over my brothers and sisters here. In Jesus' name. Amen. What a great word, hey? Feeling encouraged? I am. I'm feeling really encouraged. Love that prophetic grandfather, uncle, prophetic word that, that, that Steve brought for us. And, uh, and I feel like it is a new season, you know? I've actually been feeling that a little bit. We're, we're in a different time, a different place, different season. And, uh, and, and it's up to us to respond to that in a different way in that process. Beautiful. Put your hands together for Steve one more time. That was such a great message. So. Well, <laughs> hey, we're not going to finish the song this morning. I'm going to invite you to have coffee and tea out the back. You can even bring it back inside if you want to because I know it's so cold out there. Have a great weekend. We've got another great service. I know Robin's starting a new series in the 5 p.m. relationship series called Them, Us and Me. 
something like that. And uh, so come along tonight, get to that. It'll be nice and warm in here, guaranteed. So have a great week. See you later. Bye. Thanks for listening to the message today brought to you by Baylight Church. We hope the message leaves you feeling challenged and inspired to live out your Christian walk. Please tune in again for next week's message.